Hi, and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is with Mina Stasiak Hawk, who is a, a American reality star and podcast host who I had a, a wonderful conversation with about family dynamics and uh, negotiating your way between people pleasing and pleasing yourself and when boundaries become toxic and I, it was just a fantastic conversation I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoy having it if you want to support this podcast patreon.com slash Alice Fraser is the place to go I do a weekly salon I do two writers meetings a week if you'd like to join us you, whatever you're writing we we do one hour of, of writing and then one hour of workshop it's a lot of fun. We also do book clubs over there. Patreon.com slash Alice Fraser is the place to go for that. Also, if you like this but would prefer it were funnier, The Gargle is my other podcast that I do weekly under the Bugle umbrella. That's it from me for now. Um, I'll let you get on with listening to the podcast and I'll talk to you again next week. You're listening to Tea with Alice. Hi, and welcome to Tea with Alice. Who are you and what are you drinking? Hi, I'm Mina Starziak Hawk. Um, probably most people know me from HGTV, but I've been renovating houses uh, in Indianapolis since I graduated college in 2007. So, uh, you know, now married with a couple of kids, still doing that. And I love tea, particularly this time of year, particularly in Indiana, because it is so cold right now. It was 28 degrees last night. So, um, big fan. I mean, that's, uh, I mean, I, I'm, I find it difficult to do the conversion from Fahrenheit into Celsius in my head, but that sounds cold. It's four degrees below freezing. Oof. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah. unacceptable behavior. What have you been wrestling with of late? Well, I don't know if you listen to my podcast, but pretty much everything. Um, <laughs> I do family, listen to your podcast. It's an family, excellent podcast. work, uh, you know, body, everything. Um, and a lot of that I've, I've been working through over the last six months. So I'm kind of like on the other side of a bunch of things. But um, I'm going to be recording an episode. So what's been on my mind is with all the family complications I have going into the holidays. What's that going to look like? How do I set boundaries that work for me while it still respects the rest of the family and makes sure my kids aren't missing out on things? Um, so that's kind of what I literally just started thinking about two days ago because we're rolling into Thanksgiving and Christmas. It's it is I think the tricky thing in in, in life is sort of figuring out where our responsibilities to the people around us and our responsibilities to ourselves kind mm -hmm. of overlap and could potentially conflict. And I feel yeah. like we sort of sw I, you swing wildly between um, putting yourself out for other people and kind of really, you know, particularly if you're a parent, you put your body on the line, you put your mental health on the line, you are constantly kind of putting your, you know, <laughs> jumping between bullets uh, yeah. or losing sleep for your kids or, you know, just take it, taking the hit. Um, and also trying to, yeah, have that respect for yourself that goes, this is where the line is. This is where I need to stop. This is where. Well, and it's hard to start drawing lines when you're, I turn 39 next month. 
And I just started creating boundaries and I've joked about it for years. I'm like, I have no boundaries. Ask you what you want. Come to my, you know, do whatever you want. So 40 years of no boundaries with the same family and a lot of the same friends. And then when you start setting them, they're like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, why, why are you being a jerk? Like what's going on? What changed? And it's like, no, I know, I know is I created this monster, but now I'm going to start dialing it back a little bit. Um, it, it just throws people for a loop, man. Yeah. I, I sort of, um, I make the analogy of like, it's, it's this kind of, um, when I think about the way that like old white men feel with the current kind of social justice moves happening, (laughs) I feel so, I genuinely, and I like, this is probably too much sympathy on my part, but you know, uh, people who are creeps at work or whatever, I feel really sorry for them because they saw every generation before them get away with it. They saw every generation yeah. for, before them take advantage, yeah. steal from the cookie jar, and all of a sudden they're the ones who are getting their hands slapped for yeah. a thing that, you know, yeah. they, they sort of everyone knew was wrong, but everyone was yeah. doing it. And, and I feel so, I feel really sorry for them. And I, the, the analogy that I draw is like when I remember, I remember the last time my dad ever carried me out of the car. So do you remember when you like come home at night from something and yeah. when you're a kid and you'd be in the car seat in the back of the car and y- your parents would take you and carry you out of the car and you'd you sort of like be half asleep. Be in bed and, and yeah. And yeah. And I, I genuinely, I have this really strong memory of my dad opening the door at night and me sort of being a bit floppy and sleepy and him going, Ali, you're too big, you have to walk. And I did not in that moment, I didn't think you know, actually being carried out of the car is a, is a privilege that few people ever have. And it's like, it's not yeah. something I've earned. And now I should, you know, join the rest of the world in having this normal kind of consequence. Uh, I thought, pick me up, you fucking coward. <laughs> like, <laughs> Just handle it. Yeah. Screw your old back or however yeah. big I am. Yeah. yeah, this is my right, you know, and, and so that, you know, I do remember the feeling of injustice at that time because it was a thing that I had become accustomed and so accustomed to yeah having and so I think in the same way if we have consistently been betraying ourselves letting ourselves be taken advantage of being the person who takes the hit being the person who always swallows it being the person who always says sorry um or is understanding or resolves it or whatever it is, whatever it is, whatever role it is that we have been playing. Yeah, I'm the and middle to... child as well. So there's a lot of that. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm a twin, but I, I was a carer for my mom. And so I feel very responsible for the feelings of the people around me. It's my job to make sure everyone's comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that works well. You know, I, I'm a comedian. It works well for emceeing gigs or, or the job of being a comedian. Part of your job is to make sure that everyone is comfortable and then you make them uncomfortable and you make them comfortable again. You play with all of all of that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for me, part of that, part of being a comedian was training myself to be able to make people uncomfortable. Yeah. Because I had such an exaggerated sense of how much I could yeah. wreck people by yeah. saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing. Yeah. Well, but it's so different in comedy though, because they're there for that. They're there expecting that too. So even, I mean, it's just a whole different audience. They, these people that are coming to kind of get their emotions played with and going on this roller coaster ride with you, 
Whereas your, you know, your friends or family who do not want to get on the roller coaster, they're like, it's been smooth sailing. What are you doing over here? So what is your strategy for going into the holidays in terms of this for you for protecting yourself and like establishing these boundaries in a way that doesn't feel like pulling out the rug for your loved ones? Well, and I I actually had a, a, a conversation with my dad. So my dad's always been the provider, not really like parent, but always amazing provider. And I have lots of siblings, um, but they're kind of in different chunks. So I'm the middle of the first group. I have seven siblings all together. I'm 39 and the youngest is 18. Um, so, and he's, he's been married four times. So they're all like yours, mine and ours. But um, I was over at his house uh, picking up my kids because they spent a lot of time with my dad and my stepmom, not so much my mom. And I am on the outs with my 30-year-old brother, who is one that worked for me for a while. Um, and he said some pretty nasty stuff to me. And unfortunately, he did it in writing. So it's uh, there. And it's kind of like, yeah, you can't say I misunderstood or you didn't mean it because you said it. Like you thought about it, you typed it, and then you said it. And so I set a boundary and I was like, absolutely not. The, the amount of, uh, I, I think he's, he's, he behaves younger than I think even 30. He doesn't have a lot of experiences yet. You know, he hasn't um, been married or had kids or so he doesn't have as much like depth perception on life. But mm-hmm. I think he has this, it. yeah, he has this um, feeling like that he's owed things. And I have given him so many opportunities in life that, because of the hard work I've done, I've shared those opportunities and they were never owed to him, but he very much acted that way and treats me that way. And then said some really shitty things um, uh, that ended with sucks to suck. And I was like, okay, we're going to draw a boundary here. <laughs> and so juvenile. <laughs> yeah. So Yes, exactly. Um, and I was like, yeah, I'm just not going to do this. Because usually in my family, we all suck it up and we just go to the thing and everyone plays nice and then talk shit about each other behind their back. <laughs> so I was like, I'm just, I'm, I'm going to disrupt the system. And it has just, everyone's losing their minds. Cause they're like, well, you're not going to come to the kid's birthday party. Cause Tad's going to be there. And you're not going to come to dinner. Cause Tad's going to be there. And I'm like, no, I'll come early. I'll come late. If he's not going to come, like I'll pop in. Um, if he's going to be there, I'll pop in for 15 minutes, but then I'll leave. Like if these things are really important to you guys. Um, But recently when I was over at my dad's, he said, you guys got to figure this out. You got to figure it out. You got to talk to him. Um, The holidays are coming up. Like, are you just not going to come to Thanksgiving? Are you not going to come to Christmas? And I kind of laid it back on my dad's doorstep for the first time. Um, And I said, you're the leader of the family. You were the head of the family. Whether or not that's ever the role he played, that's what I was telling him his role was. And I said, no one is telling him make shit right. Um, and so I'm just not going to put myself in those situations. And I would ask you as the head of our family, if it's very important for all of us to be able to be here together, to, to jump in. I, w- I would be happy to have some help in this situation, assessing it, solving it, making him understand like maybe where he misstepped and how we can come back to a place of good. But right now, all he's done is tell me that he's engaged and I'm probably not invited to his wedding, which is fine because I'm 39 and I've been to a lot of weddings. I don't want to go anymore. But 
Um, and my dad, I don't think he really knew how, how to handle that. Um, but I think that is the answer. What I will say to him is it's important for me, my dad's 75. It's important for me to spend the holidays with you. You know, they are limited. So what's a way that my family can be with you and my stepmom and my siblings in a way that I don't have to sit at a table and pretend I'm okay making small talk with this person that's treated me so poorly. Um, and that works for some people. For some people, it doesn't. My brother who has four kids that are all my kids' ages, he was like, I, we don't have the time in our lives to like make separate events for everything because you can't be in the same room with Tad. So you can come, you can not, you can come early. And respect, that's your boundary. Okay. So it's just trying to figure out with each family member how I can respect mine, understand theirs, and then still do things in a way that don't put me in a position where I have this very like visceral reaction and start feeling and thinking like and it, it as a person that I don't want to be. Like, why would I put myself in a position where I'm acting, thinking, feeling, and, like physically like sweating because I'm like, this is upsetting to me. Like, why would I keep doing that? But because other people haven't had the experience, it's really hard for them to understand why I wouldn't just like suck it up and do what I've done for the last 39 years, which is understandable. Well, I think it's one of the interesting things for me about being a mother now is that the things that I have historically, so it's, it's, there's this kind of strength uh, to get gendered about it that we get taught as women is strength. Mm-hmm. And that is the strength to suck it up. Um, and that, you know, I have a friend who was in an abusive relationship for years and she told herself repeatedly that she could understand him. And if she could understand him and why he was doing these things and why we'd have these rage outbursts and she could understand the trauma that it came from and she could see where it was, you know, what caused it in each instance where he was being awful to her, but that by understanding it, she somehow had control over it and it wasn't hurting her. Um, And I think that we can get ourselves into that position where we feel more powerful because we're understanding because we're the ones who have the forgiveness in us because we're better than them mm-hmm. because they've lost it they've lost it you know they yeah. they've had this outburst and they've hurt us and so we be the better ones and there's this odd kind of um moral superiority that you get from taking it mm-hmm. um, the things that you don't deserve yeah. And I think it's a really dangerous position to put yourself in. And then when you become a parent, you're sort of like, oh, I think I owe it to my children. Yeah. It's when you get these outside outside sources, these outside. And I think that's why for a lot of people, like blending families when they get married is so hard because your family has been so used to your specific dysfunction for so long. And then <laughs> the outsider comes in as an attached to one of them. They're like, do you, do you know? that this is dysfunctional. Um, so I think even like for myself and my husband, when I started setting some boundaries, which was, it was my mom and I would just show up at each other's houses. We live next door to each other. We'd walk in, we'd walk out, we'd do whatever. We'd take food out of the fridge. And he said, can you just ask her to like knock or text before she comes? And I was like, you know what? I don't have that boundary, but that seems reasonable. And you would have thought I'd like the world was ending. Like you're changing for him. This is ridiculous. 
But just an example of when you have, like when you start adding perspective outside of your little family bubble that you've had blinders on for so long, you can see like, oh, this isn't normal for everyone. But then it creates so much disruption because the family doesn't want to be the dysfunctional one, like that maybe should make some changes. So it's got to be this other person that maybe is a problem that you're catering to or that you're bowing down to. It's an interesting dynamic. It's a super interesting dynamic. It's it's funny how protective you can be of your family's dysfunctions. Yeah. And I, I came up against this quite recently. Uh, uh, a family member did a thing that was kind of across the line. Um, not, you know, not anything too horrible, but it was like, it was clearly an inappropriate thing to do. And it sort of came from all these other things. Um, and I was like, oh, these were like, this person had delusions about the world um, that were kind of silly and and caused them to have this this situation. And I was like, oh, I feel really protective of these delusions because in my childhood, these were load-bearing delusions. Mm-hmm. Like this person's kind of assumption that everything was gonna be fine and that nobody could possibly misinterpret their actions uh, because they're a good guy. Um, yeah. Were the things that kind of got us through difficult times as a family. Yeah. And so when this came up as a real problem in the real world, I felt really like protective of them and I didn't want to like confront them about it and discuss it and have the conversation and and, yeah. and deal with it. Yeah, there's always those people, whether it's friends or families where like their behaviors maybe not great, but you're like, oh, that's just Billy. Like he's a super great guy. That's just, he just kind of comes across that way. And like relearning that, yeah, you don't just get the excuse like, oh, well, that's just Mina or that's just Steve. Like, that's just how they are. But you have to like them or you have to put up with it. Like, and I don't think you understand that until you're older. Like the last two years of my life, I've been like, oh my God, like I can make different choices and do different things and it's going to piss people off, but it's going to make my day-to-day life much more peaceful. So you just got to be willing to, to do that. Yes. Yeah, so now that's the really interesting question. How do you get to the point where you have the confrontation as somebody who's been a people pleaser or made things okay or sucked it up for years? How do you, like practically speaking, yeah. go to the point where you can have a difficult conversation with your dad or where you can <laughs> say to your family, I'm not going to show up? Like, what do you like? Do you write uh, a post it note with dot points? Do you like give yourself yeah. a pep talk? What's your support for that? Um, so I, I did a whole episode on this because I think it really was like, I just kind of hit rock bottom and it's a great quote. It's what I titled my episode, but it's when the pain of change is less than the pain of staying the same. So like, it's so bad. I'm, I'm so not myself and hurting so much. And even, you know, the medications I'm on and the therapy I'm doing, like I, I cannot manage day to day. So anything has to be better than this is kind of where I got to. And I really had to hype myself up and know that my husband was there to support me in saying like, I'm going to make some changes and no one's going to like them except me. And I know that. And am I okay with that? And I continually have to like weekly reassess that. Okay. Which boundaries like can the boundary shift? Is me shifting it being weak? Do I need to hold this? Like it's this constant self reassessment and conversation. And then 
lots of conversations with the people that I do care about and still want in my life that don't understand it. And I, I, I've had the conversations with, you know, particularly my older brother, he just moved back from San Francisco and he's been gone since we were in college. So he has a very different experience with our family living across the country for the last couple decades than I do being here. And so I have to remind myself and him, like, I don't expect you to understand. And I've said those words. I don't expect you to understand. You have different parents. You have different siblings purely based on our experiences, even though we're all the same humans. I don't expect you to understand it, but I do need you to respect it. And if you can't respect it, then we need to have a different conversation. And those are all very new conversations for me to have, but I'm just just jumping in the deep end because it was just so bad. Like it, there's there's nothing that could be worse. So let's just have the awkward conversations. And I think really just giving other people time because like when I decide to have a conversation, I've been thinking about it for a day or a week or a month or, you know, I've done a podcast episode about it and I've had comments back and I've bounced it off my husband. And then I verbal diarrhea at someone else that hasn't been thinking about it for a month. So just trying to like give other people the grace that I'm really wanting in return while I'm trying to figure it out. Cause I still don't really know. Like I don't have a plan. So my brother, he was like, what's your plan? What's your plan for Thanksgiving? What's your plan for Christmas? I was like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where I'll be tomorrow or in a month with the family. Like there's no plan here. I'm trying to survive. Equally, you know, it, it is a, it, you can't have a plan. It's a dialogue. So you've made yeah. your position clear. It's, it's your younger brother's move now. Like it, it's, it's in terms yeah. of like the chess game of like, you've made yeah. this, you've made this point. This is the thing you're not going to, you're not going to do these family events unless you have some sort of like serious conversation about what happened and, and some sort of reconciliation or some kind of yeah. explanation of what he actually meant or, you know, some kind of whatever mediation. Anything. I don't know. Just understanding that what you did was, was a, it was just not okay. Even like, it could be super simple. Maybe that's all I need. I don't know. But the thing that's been tricky with my family, which I think a lot of people who have like had family owned businesses or are really close in that aspect is this is the first time in my life where I've, I've made a bunch of hard decisions that have completely separated my success from anyone else in my family's success. And every time in the past where it has felt like a conversation was had to write things. It was because they needed something from me and there's wow. nothing to give him now. And I purposefully put that self and put myself in that position with my whole family. It's my, it's been my friends and my family that have worked for me that have done the show with me. And when you put yourself in a position where no one can get anything from you anymore, things become very clear in a way that, hurts a lot because when people don't need something from you anymore, a lot of them aren't there or worse are negatively there. So he doesn't need anything from me. So he's taking a lot longer to process the dick thing that he did. And maybe the need, maybe the thing he needs from me is to make my dad happy. So he's going to apologize and make it right. So we can all be together at Christmas. I don't know, but he's definitely not deciding to do it because he thinks so far the way he treated me was not okay. 
Yeah, which is the interesting thing about family and particularly about what we ought to need from family is love, you know? Yeah. And and I mean that in the like, I've been thinking of one of the things I've been wrestling with recently is the kind of definition of love and understanding of love that that is so separate from romance. Um mm-hmm which is that the the love of like when you love somebody in this in the way that I'm thinking about it's a with the way you love your friends or the way that it's a it's about making space for them to be themselves and Mm -hmm. to you know to have curiosity about where they're coming from and to rather than letting yourself react as though it were about you figure out where they're coming from and and when you think about your children and the way you want to love your children, you want to make space for them to be themselves, not to please you, not to be what you want them to be, to be themselves as hard as they can and to give them the space to become what they need to be. And that kind of love is the love that we ought to have, I don't, you know, like mor- making moral kind of pronouncements here that I feel yeah. we ought to have for our families. When yeah. you build your family or where, whether it's a family that you're born into, and that doesn't, I don't see that a lot. I don't see that as much yeah. as a, as would be nice that, yeah. that you could just go, you know, at the point where you stop being your parents' baby, you can start loving, you can actually start loving your parents, not just needing your parents, but like that transition from need to love to going, oh, you know, I need, I need my, my parents to feed me or shelter me or house me or whatever. Or approve of me because that's what keeps me safe to yeah. the point where you're like I, I I love my parents I want to know who they are you know and and what they actually think and how they feel as whole people that you can yeah. give them that space it feels like a different kind of love to be able to understand your parents and to give them yeah. the space to be the people that they actually are the flawed people they don't have to be God to you anymore whereas children you know they're they're the, the sky that that keeps the the void of space away from you. Yeah. So you sort of like, you can't really love them. You can only adore them or need them. And yeah. it's not until you don't need them anymore that you, you can, can make actually... the active choice because it's more pure. It's not tied to something. I think yeah. that's like the ultimate goal for me. Like what success, what like, I would, I would die happy if when my kids don't need me anymore, they still want to be around me. And like still want to yeah. know me and still want to come back for the holidays and aren't doing it because, you know, Catholic guilt or whatever, <laughs> like that, that would be the ultimate goal for me as a parent, for them to still want me when they don't need me. Yeah. And I wish I had that all the time with my parents and I haven't for most of my life. I'm getting to that place, like in the last handful of years with my dad, where like we have a better relationship and we enjoy each other's company and but that was not for the longest time and that's sucky. yeah yeah and, and, and something in there part of that you know being able to understand someone's wholeness is being able to forgive them or ask them for accountability or actually deal with the things that aren't or that weren't perfect mm-hmm. um rather than feeling precarious about it and like I, when, yeah. when I say I've been wrestling with it, I also feel like conflicted about that because I'm also like a big believer that we all do need each other, like a social level. It's, you know, you don't, yeah. there's no lone wolf. Like this primitive 
idea. Yeah. Yeah. My, my, my twin brother is super into a show. I think it's called Alone. Uh, it's airing in Australia at the moment. Basically, he's, he's told me about it. I haven't seen it. Basically, they drop people, survivalists, out in the middle of fucking nowhere with some oh. set of survival equipment, That's and then terrible. they film themselves. They're not there with a the camera crew. They're there on their own. They're filming themselves, and they, you know, they, they they get incredibly ill. They are freezing cold. They're, like, hunting mice and eating beetles to try and get the bare minimum of calories, and it's a really good illustration from the stories that my brother tells me about this show of this, how this lone wolf idea is kind of bullshit, you know, that we really need support networks and other people, you know, you can, you can barely kind of survive without that. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in conflict between this idea of love that I'm kind of working on, this idea of a different kind of love that isn't just uh, lust or need or dependence um, and that kind of individualism of that. And then at the same time, this, like, this feeling that we should be on a social level, you know, putting up with people more and making space for people more. And, you know, I, you see people in in an aeroplanes rolling their eyes at babies being on aeroplanes or disabled people being in front of them in the yeah. queue or all of those things that I'm just like, no, 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 you have to, you have to put up with the people because yeah. that's where you find the joy in people. If you dismiss everyone who's inconvenient, you never. You'd have a very closed, uneventful, unenjoyable, unfulfilled life, I feel like. Yeah, very shallow life. It's in those kind of difficulties when you figure out. So that's where I'm kind of having this conflict between like, first of all, making boundaries, but and on the other hand, having difficult people in my life because it it allows for richer relationships. Mm -hmm. And so figuring out where what that balance is for me and what my kind of tolerance levels are at what point somebody's kind of taking advantage or taking too much and at what point, you know, it's important to sometimes let yourself be taken advantage of and going between those two uh, phases. And what will you do if you decide not to go to your big family Thanksgiving? What's your, and Christmas, what's your kind of strategy for that? Just to figure out a way to respect what my dad's wanting outside of that. So it's important for, like maybe your kids aren't all going to be together all at the same time, but our Thanksgiving starts at two. I'll come at noon and I'll help you get ready and the kids can hang out and, you know, they can help decorate cookies or whatever that looks like. Um, and and maybe maybe I, I'm comfortable staying a little bit into when he's there. And then maybe there's a point where I'm not and just kind of I guess figuring out who the people that are important for me to explain it to, because while I think sometimes it's like, oh, I don't have to explain myself. Um, I think there's still value to that because they can understand where I'm coming from more. Um, so just trying to figure out a way to still meet the other people's needs that are actual like ones that, that I've sussed out like, okay, you know, this, this is meaningful you. Um, and figure out a way that I can meet their needs while they respect and meet mine. So it would just be coming early, coming a little bit late, 
my brother tends to be late to everything. So other people tend to show up and I can see them and spend time with them necessarily before I have to spend time with in a room with him as well right now. Um, so that's, I think that's kind of the thought process and the plan. It's not much of a plan. It'll probably well, change yeah. in a week, but. Well, and, and you also have to kind of go with your, with your gut at the time. I have a, a slightly similar, slightly related dilemma in that I have a relative who is married to a uh, rapist, convicted rapist. He served his jail oh, time. That's a tough one. Yes. Yeah. And he was, he was a, a senior person in a profession and um, his specific targets were sort of young women in that profession. And he would, he would drug them, um, he'd invite them around to talk about their career and he would drug them. And, uh, and, you know, now he's back. She didn't divorce him, you know, very Catholic. Um, and I just won't talk to him. No. Like I, and, and it's that thing of like, I don't know, had it been a different crime or had there been a different kind of victim, I don't know if I would feel differently. But that's like the, the kind of the demographic that he was that's targeting like the was. That's human you are. That's who you are at your core. You didn't make a mistake that's forgivable. That's yeah. tough. And the target was me. Yeah. You know, the target of the kind of the demographic that he was being a predator towards was me, my friends. I know those women. I know, and so I don't know if that is one of the reasons why I'm so. Well, it's so much like, more personal. Hard boundary on it. But, you know, she's the relevant relative and she's had a hard time and she's had some health issues. And so the rest of the family uh, on that, in that branch of the family, it's not the closest branch of the family. So it's not in the core of my family. It's like one or two steps yeah. removed. Uh, but she, the rest of her family are like, well, we got to support her and her feelings. So we'll just kind of be humane and be forgiving. And, you know, he served his time and I'm the only one. You're the only like, one that's not, you know, nope. If she wants to see my child, she can come without him. You know, if she wants yeah. to, and, and it's a really, I'm not usually that person. I'm not usually the trouble maker, causer, highlighter. Yeah. Is, are you the troublemaker when they're like, the fucker? Like, like, yes, exactly. I'm the one I, I am. I'm the one like ruffling feathers and causing problems and causing trouble. And I'm like, no, I'm one being reasonable now. Like what you were doing is reasonable. It is reasonable for your family to say, we love you, female relative. We aren't interested in placating this man. So yes, we want you to come, but I, that, that would be very, very challenging. Well, yeah, I don't, I, you know, that I think it is, you know, the, the, the kind of, oh, so he served his sentence according to the law and society has punished him. I'm like, sure. But also, and I don't think two years of prison is sufficient uh, for multiple rapes. And I don't have to forgive him, you know. Like, no. I don't. I don't have to. And I, I feel, yeah. It's also that thing of like, even if I did forgive him, him in some abstract sense, I don't want, want to know him. With him. No, I don't want to love him. He's not my relative. You don't want to celebrate all your celebratory moments, holidays, birthdays, whatever they be with him. For sure. Yeah. I don't want him in the snapshot of my memories. I don't want him in the picture. Yeah. Does your family feel like you're being unreasonable or are they being supportive of that being your boundary? 
well on 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 the branch through which i am connected to this part of the family they it was one of those conversations um that i think is so painful and so grown up where you you both say i can see exactly where you're coming from and i am not going to change my mind yeah um so it is that sort of painful thing of like i understand why they for them uh, they're, they're closer to her, they love her dearly, her health and her happiness are paramount to them. And so they're willing to put up with this distasteful situation of this man being around, because she mm-hmm. loves him and she's forgiven him. And I, I get that, you know, I get that he's not important in that picture, it's her who's important to them. And I understand that. And also, I'm not going to that party. Yeah. <laughs> because I don't want to be in the room with him and I don't want my daughter to know this person. Yeah. Yeah, it is one of those oddly, um, it, I think it makes you feel very grown up when I think that yeah. the two like minor things that really have made me feel the most grown up in my life, and this is really stupid, we had a very non-conflict family, my family, because my mum was sick. And so that was the thing that we were all fighting against. Yeah. And so I had a, a, after my mom died, I did a comedy show, which was about it. And I had a conversation with, with my brother about it. Um, but the, the first point was that like, I didn't realize until I was in my twenties that you could have an argument with a friend and that not be the end of the friendship because yeah. I, I, because we weren't having arguments and resolving them. We were just sort of letting things simmer or trying to figure out what the problem was and solving it subtly that I didn't, I genuinely thought that arguments were really dangerous and could really hurt people. And of course they can, but like, I thought they were like devastating. So learning that you could have an argument and that not be the end of the friendship was like huge. And then, yeah, having this discussion with my brother about the show that I did, which he didn't like, um, about my mum, he felt it was like exposing our family, like, because I do comedy, and he felt comedy is sort of an inherently degrading thing. And talking about our mum in that context was like, it was one of those conversations again, where I was like, yeah, I understand why you feel that way. And I don't feel that way. And he's like, well, you have a right to kind of do this art the way you want to do it. And I can never feel okay with that. And we both had to just go. Okay. Okay. You know, love you. Yeah. <laughs> the end yeah um, and maybe that's where you get to with your with your younger brother of just like you you don't have to forgive him for being a dick yeah um, but hopefully he gets to a point where he can accept that he was a dick yeah <laughs> that would least. be the help <laughs> yes it is it's such a tricky thing i mean did you were you in the same household as him growing up or are you kind of yeah so his um mom and my dad were going through a divorce when she died when he was 12 and I was in college and so there were a lot of things that I stepped in um you know like I was at he played football in high school I was at all his high school games um just kind of more with the age difference did more like motherly things than than sibling things really ever with him um and 
his his sense of you know injustice in the world obviously is very complex because of the loss he had and what is owed to him or what he didn't get um because he missed out on a lot he didn't the one person that should care about you more than anyone else in the world he didn't have for the majority of his life um and you still are in charge of becoming the kind of human that you want to be around and that other people want to be around and i think um because of like our complicated relationship then when he started working for me at such a young age and then on and off um and then this this thing that's bigger than life this show that comes along that no one thought was going to be a thing really can bring out the worst in people um because they feel like like it's about them um, and it's not really about any of us. Like there's a million people a day that renovate houses. We just happen to be like entertaining enough that someone's filming us on it. But the second I don't want to do it anymore, I'm replaceable. There's a million other people that'll probably do it for less and complain less. And, and when you <laughs> feel, when you get to the point in your life where the entitlement is, I'm the only one that can I do, that can do this. And I'm the best one that can do this. And I, I, so I am owed this right to do this. I think kind of is the place where in his young brain, it was really hard to pull apart some things. Um, and the only way to like start fresh was to rip the whole dang bandaid off. And it was a big bandaid and it was a big public bandaid. Um, and I am, I'm the villain in the story now, for sure. I'm the one that, you know, fired my whole team and doesn't speak to my family um, and all in a very public way from these people who all think they know the whole story um, and they never will because the story goes back from when I was three years old when my parents got divorced and there's layers and um, it's just so complicated because it's on more of a public level and probably like you're talking about with the comedy show, it's not just you like wrestling with how you're gonna process your emotions about your mom's death in a way that makes sense for you you're doing it somewhat on a public level, which is upsetting to, to your brother, to maybe other people. Um, so mine's, I think, very similar to that. Yeah, it sounds like actually my dad is a, a slightly similar situation to you with regards to his siblings in that they, their dad died when my dad was five. Um, mm -hmm. So, and his younger siblings were three and one, so they don't have the memory of, of their father. So my dad in many yeah. ways, was this parentified figure mm -hmm. and and in the same way as like part of teenagehood and growing up is like taking your parents down from this pedestal and then rebuilding the relationship from the ground up and mm -hmm. you can do that depending on how difficult your relationship with is with your, with your parents you either do that in your teens safely and happily yeah. in a, a sound environment or you do it in your later 20s where you suddenly you know kind of come to terms with the flawed person that they were and, and reject them or accept them on these new terms but then having to do that with someone who is in a, a parental role but also your sibling yeah is a really difficult I was thinking thing. about it yesterday because I was thinking about it with my parents like <clears throat> I didn't like with my brother like I didn't owe you anything but I gave you a lot I didn't owe you any opportunities but I gave you a lot of opportunities and then so where is that different because I'm always trying to like put it back on myself to like, okay, like where am I maybe misstepping here? Like, 
it was my parents' job to to do certain things, but also maybe, I guess it goes back to like understanding where he could feel like the things that I feel like my parents, it was their responsibility to do for me. They did owe me. Like he feels that way towards me because I kind of filled that role. But also you didn't. Yeah. Well, I can understand. I'm like, yeah, no, no, I filled that role, but I didn't, it wasn't my responsibility. Like my dad should have done that more. My stepmom should have been able to do that more. Like these other people that were adults should have been able to do that more. So again, like I should just get like a, Hey, thanks for the extra work. Not you suck because you didn't do all the work. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But I can see why it's like where his brain might process it that way. Yeah. I, 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 from this side, and I'm obviously only hearing your side of the story. Like I can see the ways in which you have been cast in this role in his head and the, the way that we justifiably feel that our parents owe us their best efforts um, and that infinite patience and infinite love. And, and you can be, um, you can be, I've seen people be cruel to their parents in ways that they would be cruel to nobody else in, in the world because of this, you know, parent, your parents you. are God, yeah. your parents are the earth. They don't have real feelings. They're just, they're just the ground on which you stand. Um, and at various developmental stages, that is healthy. You know, it's a healthy for a toddler to have a tantrum and, you know, not understand that kicking you is like kicking a person. They're just, you're just the environment. You're just the air they breathe. Um, but at a certain point, then you transition into an adult having a relationship with another adult. And in your instance, you know, your your siblings, you're not his mother. And it's interesting the way that people react to that, to understanding that they're not owed and the ways in which particularly men can be blind to what they feel they are owed until it is withdrawn. the number of people I know I've spoken to. So I I had this discussion uh, with a colleague who is a comedian who was in the middle of a divorce. So I I met him uh, backstage and said, how's life? Hadn't seen him since before COVID. Uh, And he said, oh, you know, I've got this eight month old baby. And I was saying, it's a bit of a, it's a wild ride, isn't it? You know, I've got, I've got a two year old now. And he said, oh, well, I haven't, you know, only see her on weekends because we're in the middle of a divorce. And I thought, well, that's a, it's probably a really sad story. That's a, you know, starting a divorce. He was sort of four months into this divorce process. Like maybe they had been breaking up and they'd had the baby and, you know, it was like complicated and everything. And no, what had happened was she, his wife had had the baby and he had not liked the person his wife was in those four months after having the baby and they had gotten divorced. And my reaction was kind of like, you didn't even give a fighting chance like yeah like months. no one's human for the first year like what are you talking about you're just animals like trying to keep remember the first three months <laughs> i was so like but the thing is my husband doesn't either because he's a very equal partner yeah. sounds like maybe that wasn't the case in this situation i was trying like I, I couldn't cope with this because i was just like i wasn't even a, a person like i was just i wasn't even a person for the first three months i didn't even lift my head up like i was just yeah in this phase of like you're a symbiotic creature and you've got this other thing and you're kind of and you're like the job of this body 
Yeah, the job of the non-birth giving parent is just to make sure all the fucking bottles are clean and everything is in, within like arm's reach of you while you're breastfeeding like a gremlin on your little, uh, you know. Yeah. And I just could not wrap my head around it. I was like, how did you not get that? And I realized that for him, <laughs> it was like, but you were my mummy. It was that. Yeah. It was like the attention that he felt entitled to from his partner, that his needs were being met by paramount. her. Yeah. Were paramount. And he just wasn't, he wasn't a man. <laughs> like, he, and I mean that in like, not in the gendered sense, but he just wasn't a grown up. He didn't know how well, to and function. He's going to have a struggle. Like you're going to have to find a woman who is okay with that and who isn't ever going to have kids or a dog that she loves more than you, or like, you're going to have to have a very specific small pool of women that are going to be able to fit what that version of him needs. Yeah. Yeah. It just was so mind blowing to me and that, that he was completely unaware of his role. In that. He, yeah. About how unreasonable it was to feel entitled to the attention of a new mother um, as, as the center of her world. What's always so interesting to me is like, who is he surrounding himself with? Because just as humans, you like have, you want a confirmation bias. Like, can I say this to someone else and then be like, yeah, no, that's not crazy. That makes sense. Like who in his life did he bounce these things off of brother, friend? And the friend was like, no, dude, that's, that makes sense. Like she really should be giving you more attention. Like the baby's ruining everything. Like who, who was the person that did not say you need to pump the brakes. You need to give it time. You need to maybe look at yourself here. No one yeah. was saying that to him. Yeah, or, or yeah, just suck it up and then talk about it in another year or whatever, yeah. like just whatever it happens to be. And I'm not saying that you can't have relationships that break that early in a, a new a birth or that, that you know, the you know process of pregnancy and birth can expose like unsolvable problems or, you know, that you have, I, I think you should have these conversations Definitely. before you have a baby. But, you know, you could get to that point where you're like, oh, we have completely different ideas about what this is or what we should be doing or the safety of the child or you know I, I i think you could have a perfectly reasonable divorce with a four-month-old baby or a separation yeah. or whatever where you're like oh this is not going to work we can both see that uh you know here's how we're going to deal with the kind of the caretaking responsibilities but the, it that wasn't what had happened here no this was just yeah this was just a complete l lack of adulthood in yeah. a man who was my age. And I, I thought, you know, that, that odd thing that I think might be the case with your brother who I've never met, probably a lovely guy. Uh, it's like, how did you get this far without having to do this process of yeah, get like figuring out checks. what people actually owe you? Yeah. Well, and again, because the world we're in, there's so many yes people, if that's what you want to surround yourself with. And especially at that age, like the, you know, between his twenties and thirties with the show being such a big thing, it's really hard to surround yourself when you're making new friendships and you're making new relationships that are going to be theoretically lasting ones, or you're finding your partner, like, are these people around me, genuine people, or do they want to be around me? Because I, the relationship to me makes them feel special because I'm on TV or because when I go to the bar, people buy me drinks because I'm on TV. So they get drinks. Like it's gotta be complicated 
for like a younger brain, because even for my brain that was doing this from the time I was 30 to 38, it's hard to remember this has nothing to do with me. I'm a blip on the radar. I'm replaceable. Like this, this, the people that love me don't love me. They love the show. That's 42 minutes, you know, 500 minutes of a year of my life. And the people who hate me don't know me that well. They, 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 it's just, they know what they see on the show. So none of it's real. Like just remembering that none of it's real, I think would be very challenging for me to have done in my twenties. Yeah. And who's been carrying him out of the car? Yeah. Yeah. He's still getting carried out of the car by a host friend. Yeah. And my dad. Yeah. It's one of the things like I have, I have a few really strict rules on stage um, with performing comedy or even with podcasting of the things that I won't talk about and where, where, and they're kind of um, from the outside, a little bit arbitrary. You know, I'll talk about my mother and the grief that, and all of that stuff, but I won't talk about my personal relationships or my sexual relationships or anything like that. Um, And that's not because I have any judgment between those two things. It's just because I need to remind myself that who I am on stage, the person that is getting, you know, fans or liked or enjoyed or laughed at, or, you know, the person who they think I am, that's not complete, you know? My brother doesn't want to be in my stand-up comedy, my twin brother, and he so he never appears in my stand-up comedy, which is a good reminder when I'm t- telling these stories that they're not complete stories because my twin brother is a huge part of my life. And so reminding myself, if, if he's not in that story, it's not, a, it's not the whole story, is a way to kind of keep myself, whatever that is, sane. In check, yeah. It's just, yeah, just like level if not where you get up here and you have this inflated sense of self and then I think when that happens that's when you start behaving in ways that are unpleasant (laughs) well um good luck with the holiday season I hope you you come to a good kind of resolution that is like satisfying and that that helps your brother and your relationship to kind of grow to a better place where can people find you online where can they support your work um all of that stuff yeah um i mean my my podcast is nina af and it is really a lot of what we've talked about it's just kind of relating my personal experiences um to other people's struggles to kind of make them feel less isolated like these things are all happening to everyone so let's talk about it because i don't have boundaries about those things um, but on Instagram, I'm Nina underscore Starziak underscore Hawk, um, and the, uh, Nina Starziak Hawk on Facebook. So, excellent. Here we are. Thank you so much for having tea with me, Mina. Thank you for having me. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Oh, do you know? Oh, do you not? This dolphin mistress that we have got. Elsie Thompson, it is her name, and she helps the doppers at every frame. Lousy rifle doll. Lousy.